Hello and welcome to the Culture Watch Podcast, a podcast of Speaking for Him. My name is Andrew Gomison and I have the privilege of being your host. It's great to be back with you after a week off. I enjoyed my trip to Wisconsin with my brother to meet his friend Eric, but now I am ready to jump back into current events from a Christian perspective and we start out today on the campus of Auburn University. Well, the spirit of revival is alive and well at Auburn University. Earlier this month, some 200 people were baptized as part of Unite Auburn Tigers football coach Hugh Freeze, even taking part, assisting in the baptism of one of his own players. But the Freedom From Religion Foundation is crying foul, calling it, quote, inappropriate and unconstitutional for coaches at a public university to participate in a baptism. Our next guest was in the water helping baptize the students. She's the former bachelor contestant, and she's the author of a great new book called The Love Everybody Wants. What a great title. Madison Pruitt-Trout joins us now. (laughs) Madison, thanks for joining us. So tell us what went down. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to be back. So I was at the event and honestly just so honored to be there and witness this revival, this movement of God. And my mom, Tanya Pruitt, was actually the visionary and founder of Unite Auburn and can speak to this a lot more. But I'm just so excited for what God is doing. And I think it's just the beginning. Yeah, I mean, clearly the Holy Spirit was at work there. I mean, I guess there was one person that was going to get baptized and then spontaneously all these other students decided to do it. But then you have this joyless organization, this group called the Freedom from Religious Organization uh, or Foundation. And now they're saying it's unconstitutional. What, What kind of measures are they trying to take? Honestly, again, I think my mom can respond to this a lot better than I can. Um, I really am just excited to see, you know, what God's going to do. I think it's going to sweep across the nation. I think we're just seeing the beginning. I think all kinds of universities are going to start wanting more of this and want to experience a move of God on their campus. Yeah, let's hope it's a trend. Um, You know, and by the way, can, (laughs) can we just talk about the hypocrisy of universities that coerced students to um, take vaccines that they didn't need. And now this group is saying this is coercive when they voluntarily decided to be baptized. Um, it's just there's so much going on. I can't think of a better thing to happen at an American public university um, than, than some Christian baptisms. So I have a few things that I want to say about this. First of all, we talked a few months back about a revival that took place on a college campus. And at that time, I said that the results of the revival were more important than the revival itself. We tend, especially as an American culture, I think, I I suppose it's true of other cultures as well because I haven't done an extensive study, but we tend to put more emphasis on experiences than we do on results. What do I mean by that? The fact of the matter is that you can go to a camp or you can go to a revival service and have a mountaintop experience and really feel close to God and feel like he's doing a work. And there's nothing wrong with that per se. But the real result of said revival will be shown when the rubber meets the road, when the person comes away from that revival, when it makes a difference in their lives, and when they allow that to help them make a difference in other people's lives. So that's the first thing I want to say about this is that I hope that the difference that is made in these people's lives is such that it extends 
far beyond a short-term revival on Auburn's campus. But the second thing I want to mention in regards to this is the fact that we have a situation here where a college football coach decided to become involved in this revival because he had a player that wanted to reach out and to be baptized. Now, the first thing I want to say about this is baptism doesn't save you. So if you go into the baptismal water as a sinner, you will come back out of the baptismal water as a wet sinner. There's nothing redeeming about baptism in and of itself. But it is a command of God. It's a command for us as believers to take the step of baptism and identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ. So, assuming that this man has done this, it is a great thing for him to want to be baptized. And I think it's a great thing for Hugh Freeze, the Auburn coach, to take the opportunity to be involved in this young man's discipleship to the extent of participating in his baptism. The problem that we have in this culture today is that we think that anything having to do with religion should be discouraged. And the reality is that that is not true. When we talk about separation of church and state, we're referring to a letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote to a lady who was concerned about the United States adopting a state church because that's the environment that the colonists came from when they came to establish the 13 original colonies was an environment where the Church of England was the church of England. There was no other sanctioned church, and they had to follow whatever dictates the church had. And for our American founders, one of their purposes in founding was to give people religious freedom. So it wasn't freedom from religion, it was freedom of religion. And what this Freedom From Religion Foundation doesn't understand is that we are currently living in a society of chaos where everybody scratches their heads and they look everywhere but up for answers. But Psalm 121 tells us to look up onto the hills from whence cometh our help. Our help cometh even from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So I really think that looking up to heaven for help and encouraging people to follow the Lord Jesus Christ is a great way to get order out of chaos. Because God, the God of the Bible, said let everything be done decently and in order. And I think we would all be benefited in society if our goal was to, to adopt a solid moral standard, and that is what you find in the pages of the Word of God. Now, the young lady who was interviewed in this piece, she was a Bachelorette contestant. And one interesting thing that I find about the Bachelor and the Bachelorette contestants is there are a good handful of them who claim to know the Lord Jesus Christ and who tried to stand with integrity in this environment. Now, we could have a separate conversation about whether the Bachelor or the Bachelorette is the place to find forever love, but she goes on in this interview to talk about a book that she wrote about what it means 
to find true love and embrace it. Let's talk about your book here because um, I have a podcast. I talk about love and marriage all the time. I love your title. It's the love that everybody wants. Um, and so you were on The Bachelor. You didn't end up, you were a runner-up. You didn't end up meeting your husband there, but you did meet someone later on. Um, so many young women out there looking for love and young men uh, looking for love. What's your best advice? So I started writing this book single and asking myself the questions, am I enough? Is there something wrong with me? Am I hard to love? And I remember one day I was sitting in my room frustrated with God because everybody else was getting married and I felt like the only single one. And I felt like God just spoke to my heart in that moment. Maddie, you have been looking for the right thing in all of the wrong places. You are looking for this lasting love, this love that meets every need and satisfies every desire in your heart in another person and only my love, only God's love can truly satisfy us and complete us. And I realized in that moment that the love that I'm looking for is already mine. It's not in a boyfriend or a husband or a job. It's in Jesus. And that's the love that changes everything. And so Matthew 22, 36 through 40 was the inspiration behind the book. And it's the two greatest commandments. So I walk through um, how to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and love your neighbor as yourself and talking through those three loves, not only how important those three loves are, but the importance of the order of those three loves. Absolutely. And marriage is between three people, you, yourself, uh, you, your husband, and God. Um, what a wonderful message. I wish you luck with that book, um, The Love Everybody Wants. Um, what you're looking for is already yours. It's available now. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Madison. Um, so wonderful to have you Thank on. Thank you so much. All right. Good luck. Thank you. As someone who is currently still praying for and seeking a wife, I so appreciate what Madison had to share that the primary lover of our souls, the main lover of our souls, really the only lover of our souls is Jesus. And he is the only one that can truly fulfill our need for love. Now he made us to live in companionship with others and Adam realized that he was alone when he was perfect. This is something that I have talked about a few times over the years because sometimes people will say, well, you just have to be content uh, and allow God to work in your life, and I totally understand that. But if Adam, as a perfect human being in a perfect world with no sin or temptation to date, still felt the loss or the need for a helpmeet that wasn't provided by any of the animals that he named, how can we, who are frail and sinners as human beings, expect to feel any less? The bottom line is, every single person who, in a well-meaning way, has told me uh, that I should just be content with a very few exceptions, is happily married people, and many of them found their happily ever after very young. We are living in a very challenging time to find the person to live with in the holy bonds of matrimony for the rest of our lives. And I think it's because we have so many options. You know, there's a lot said about men's ideal women or or women's ideal men, and I have to be honest and say that as a man, it can be very hard to measure up to those ideals. 
ultimately I know that if I trust God, eventually he has the power to bring the right person into my life, and I believe he will. But I also feel, quite honestly, that there have been some excellent women who have come into my life who have not given me a chance and have simply walked away because they were scared or because they didn't feel the warm fuzzies or butterflies immediately upon meeting me. And I really do believe that a lot of times love can come softly. So I'm encouraged by Madison and her approach that we need to focus on loving God and loving others. But I also want to encourage you not to give up on your dream of being married because I do believe that marriage is a picture of Christ and his church and that God wants to do amazing things through Christian marriage. We are at a place right now where as a society we don't know what marriage means. And so we have a wonderful opportunity as the church to show the world this is what marriage actually means. And I would encourage you to continue to pursue that with a lot of courage, tenacity, and also a goal to do so in a pure way. But don't give up. And don't allow the world to tell you that marriage is just a piece of paper. Because it's not. It's a divine ordinance of God that he created for the good of all mankind. Our next story references what has become known as the Fetterman Rule. Uh, where the U.S. Senate has just recently relaxed its dress code to allow John Fetterman to appear in the Senate chamber in a hoodie, shorts, and sandals. Now, I don't know exactly what the Senate dress code entails, but for the most part, I have seen people wear suits or dresses into the chamber. This is one of the most solemn chambers that we have in the United States. This is a place where laws are deliberated and brought to be. And so decorum is something that we should be expectant of and appreciative of in this context. Now, this story deals with a reporter from the Washington Post dressing like Fetterman when he goes to the Senate and attempting to get entrance into fancy restaurants in Washington, D.C. And here is what he had to say about that experiment. New York Post columnist John Levine taking a page from Senator John Fetterman, who is known for walking around the Capitol in his trademark hoodie and gym shorts. But the writer didn't have as good a luck when he tried to grab a table at some of New York City's highest end restaurants. And joining us right now, New York Post columnist John Levine. John, thank you very much for getting all dressed up for it. Thank you. Oh, w- w- would you mind modeling yeah, this outfit? Absolutely. So right. we, this is the full Fetterman getup. You've got the sneakers yeah. and you've got the, the gym shorts sure. and you've got the hoodie. Just I'm, I'm a medium. This is an extra large. <laughs> I got it at the Gap just across the street for this purpose. All right. Now sit down. So you, there, New York City has some very, very fancy restaurants. And you were, so the whole idea was to compare the standards at the Senate with the standards of these restaurants, right? The Senate is the world's greatest deliberative body. 
I wanted to see if I could walk into the into restaurants in New York City dressed like you can apparently now walk into the world's greatest deliberative body. And in many, many cases in New York, the answer was a resounding no. Right. So you would go into these restaurants and what would be the first thing you would say? The first thing I would always say to everyone is, is this a restaurant? <laughs> What is this place? Because a lot of these places are very, very famous places in New York. Sure. And it just it immediately puts everyone in a bad mood when you say, what is this? Place? Because you look like I would you just, could yeah, be like just some schlub off the street. Right. So I'd say, what is this place? Oh, it's a restaurant. That's fascinating. Can I possibly sit here with my I was with a photographer, or a camera guy? Can we like a table for two? And they would just be like, sir, it's not happening. Right. <laughs> did, did anybody just absolutely take a look at your get up and say, get out? No, I mean, I mean, people were generally, I would say, Polite. There was no open hostility. I think a lot of people thought I was crazy. And, you know, you're from New York. If a crazy person comes up to you, you don't right. engage with hostility. That's a very sure. recipe for disaster. But, um, but generally, I was very politely told, like, sir, it's, you can't have athletic wear. This, the whole thing's not going to work. Just, just please leave quietly. Sure. And it was, that's how it went. You know, the Senate is the most exclusive club in America. Yeah. And yet uh, you can't get into some restaurants, but he can get into the most exclusive club in the world. Yeah, it's you know, look, civilization is a choice that we make every single day. Like, you know, you woke up today and you put on it's very early in the morning and you put on a suit and tie. And I've always ever seen you on this show on a suit and tie right. because you have great respect for yourself and your audience. But in the United States Senate, you can just march in like you, you came out of a Pilates class. <laughs> and it's it's you know, it's it's just a difference in in standards that we're seeing. And it's a choice that he's just not making. OK, so let's consider this for a moment. The first question to ask is, does an organization or a place of business have the right to have a dress code. And the answer for most of recorded history is yes. You can have a standard. We have signs in most stores that say no shirt, no shoes, no service. We have standards for when we go into certain environments. You don't go into a Fortune 500 company wearing shorts and a hoodie because you are trying to conduct important business and you are trying to behave in a professional manner. This Washington Post columnist found out that you don't go in to fancy restaurants in Washington, D.C. in shorts and a hoodie because they expect a certain level of decorum in these restaurants. So the fact that they don't expect this level of decorum in the United States Senate, that is a very sad reality for us in this country. And it is a symptom, not necessarily a problem in and of itself, but a symptom of a greater problem where we no longer think that having professionalism and respect is important. This will tie into our next story, and I don't want to jump ahead, but it ties into so many other stories in the sense that we don't respect people who disagree with us and we don't respect people in general. It used to be that we could have high societal standards such as don't swear in front of women and children and that was just something that was put forth not because it was oppressive, although that's what 2023 people would tell you, but because it was proper. And 
this ne- the next story again. I, I feel like I'm kind of jumping ahead, but I feel like these stories go together. Will basically say that having an order to life is misogynistic, but the reality is having an order to life is the way to live a peaceful, organized life. Every form of life, every aspect of life, has an order to it that makes it work. Sports teams have coaches and quarterbacks and wide receivers and running backs and defensive backs and kick returners. They all have their role, they know their role, and that's how they make their team a success, because they know their role. So it is perfectly acceptable, and I believe necessary, to have a level of decorum in the United States Senate, one of the highest offices in our country, to have a high fashion standard. Because it shows respect for the Senate and respect for the business conducted there. And to allow these standards to be relaxed because one person does not feel the need or the compulsion or perhaps even the ability to fulfill them is not right. It's a bit of a stretch, but it's a little bit like when we relax our laws and then we say, well, not as many laws are being broken. Well, is that really true or have we just relaxed our laws so we can feel better about ourselves? I've always said that it is important to raise people to a high standard. That in general people will reach the standard that you have for them. So if you set a low standard, that's where they will reach. But if you set a high standard, even if they don't completely reach the standard you have, they will still be higher and have greater goals as a result of the high standard that you put in front of them. And as a United States Senator, John Fetterman is an example to the rest of the country of how to conduct oneself. Notice I did not say a good example, but he is an example. And our children especially are looking to these leaders to show an example of how to behave as an adult. And this is not adult behavior. And if you can't even get into a fancy restaurant wearing these clothes, why should you be able to get into the United States Senate? Respect, honor, and dignity should be something that is part of being an American citizen and being a Christian. Jesus said to love God with all your heart, soul, and strength and love others as yourself. And one way that you do this is to behave in a professional manner. My next story deals with the immigration crisis where even Democrats are starting to chafe under the Biden administration's policies. 
Joining us now is Texas Democratic Congressman Henry Cuellar. And, sir, thank you for your time on this Sunday. Thank you, Bill. I want you to listen to a Democratic mayor in Eagle Pass, Texas. Orlando Salinas is his name on President Biden's policies. I'll be honest with you, I believe 100% he does bear some responsibility uh, for this crisis. I haven't heard from anybody in the administration. Uh, the president hasn't put out the state, a statement, the vice president, I haven't heard from anybody. Sir, you're a Democrat. Why, why is that Democratic mayor such a lonely voice? You know, some of us along the border have been talking about what's been happening on the border for many years. Look, you know, what we need to do is to do this. One, we need to have repercussions at the border. What does that mean? You got to deport people and you got to show those images of people being deported. When was the last time we saw people going the other way instead of just seeing people flow in? And the second thing is, keep in mind what happened in 2015, what happened in 2019 under President Trump, President Obama. And what I think happened a couple of days ago, but now we got to see the enforcement. We got to get Mexico to do more like they did in 2019, like they did in 2015. And hopefully they the agreement they reached a couple of days ago with the administration. And that is get the people on the Mexican side, deport them to their countries, do more to stop people in the on their southern border with Guatemala. Otherwise, we're just going to continue seeing this flow. It worked in 2015 under Obama. It worked under President Trump. And now if this agreement that got reached a couple of days ago, if they enforce it correctly, then we should see a, okay. a, a, a slowing of, of a flow of people coming in. OK, let me just say on the issue of immigration that this is an issue that has been tossed around by the last couple of administrations and legislatures. I believe that there are certain problems with the current way that we deal with people coming to this country. And I believe this because I have several friends and acquaintances who have married people from other places. And the amount of time that it takes to get their spouses over here when they want to bring them to the U.S. to live with them in holy matrimony can sometimes be ridiculous. I remember one particular friend waited about a year to marry his fiance because he did not want to be a bachelor for a year, a married bachelor, and instead waited until all of her paperwork was done and she was legally here and then he married her so they could be together. And I remember feeling for him that why is this taking so long? So I do believe that there are some issues with the current immigration policy in our country. That being said, it is not the answer to simply allow illegal immigrants to stay here in our country, depleting our resources with no place to go. What needs to happen is we need to have common sense legislation on the issue of immigration and we need to be able to enforce it so that when people come to the U.S., we can welcome them with open arms and encourage them to embrace what it means to be an American and then to enjoy all the privileges thereof. I'll never forget talking to a former co-worker at the Potter's house who is Indian and talking to her about her immigration journey 
and how she worked hard to become a citizen and how it's offensive to her to think about people who are skirting that responsibility and those opportunities to become a legal citizen by simply overstaying work visas or sneaking over the border. There's a lot of benefits and amazing privileges with being a U.S. citizen, but part of the reason those things are available to us is because they are limited to citizens. And I think it's important for us to realize that. If you look in the Bible, you will find that it was possible for Gentiles to join the Jewish nation in the Old Testament. But there were requirements. There were expectations of Gentiles who would join the Jewish nation. And two people who did that in the Old Testament were notably Rahab and Ruth. And they were welcomed because they believed in the God of Israel and they decided to serve him and leave behind their old life. And as I've observed and as I've said many times, I feel like one of the issues that we have is that we used to be known as a melting pot here in the United States, and in many ways today, we are instead an ice cube tray where we come over to the U.S. and we want the privileges of being an American without actually becoming one. And I think that we should be grateful to be here in America. We should be grateful to welcome people from other lands. As I've talked about also before on this podcast, there's a thing called the gate test. When a country opens its gates to the U.S. for the first time, many people want to come here. Why? Because it's a land of opportunity. Why? Because of the legal structures that we have set up for our citizenry that make it the greatest nation in the world. We have the opportunity to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness because of what our founding fathers put in place. We've had the opportunity to learn from our mistakes and become a greater nation because of the structure that is given to us by the Declaration of Independence and the U.S. Constitution. That is something that is unique to us in the world, and it is something that we would do well to remember. As I wrap up today, I want to talk to you about Maren Morris. Maren Morris is a country music singer who says she is leaving country music because it has become too toxic, among other things. Grammy-winning country star is leaving the genre that made her famous while blasting it as toxic and racist. Singer Marin Morris claims the Trump years exposed the bigoted views of people in the industry. She says, quote, it just revealed who people really were and that they were proud to be misogynistic and racist and homophobic and transphobic. Mm. Morris is also smearing country music fans who enjoy hit songs like Jason Aldean's Try That in a Small Town. Quote, people are streaming these songs out of spite. It's not out of true joy or love of the music. It's to own the libs. Music is supposed to be the voice of the oppressed, the actual oppressed. Mm -hmm. Discussion. 
Let's go. Here we go, Dana. Yeah. You know, isn't this classic liberalism where um, you're racist or you're misogynist if you don't fit her narrative? Yeah. So she's talking about she says music is supposed to be for the voice of the oppressed, the actual oppressed. But I mean, <laughs> the, people are playing these songs because it makes them feel something. And that's what music is supposed to be about. And she can write songs about joy and you can enjoy the, you can enjoy those. You can play them on repeat. But maybe you like try this in a small town. And for, who is she to decide who gets to um, uh, stream a song and if they play it over and over again? You know, oppression for some people might take the form of what's been called the forgotten man. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so she's mad about that. And I don't think this is necessarily going to work for her. Now, Taylor Swift, when she decided to. Uh, blend into pop after country, she kept all of her country fans and grew it. So she wanted to do that and she wanted to be a big star. And obviously she is. I think Marin Morris thinks that she's going to do the same thing, but I think that she might be surprised because it's not necessarily like that. The reason that country <coughs> music fans like Oliver's song or Aldine's song is because it reflects their lived experience and that's what country music is really good at. So I think a lot of people in Nashville would say bye-bye. You know, um, Harold, I think she's the hypocrite here, and I want to know what you think. And she's got a song about leaving country music, and yet she's using the country music genre to make that song. She's saying, I want no part of it, but I'll take the money and stay in it as long as I can sing this song. Yeah, we did a story um, about, I think it was Luke Combs singing a, mm-hmm. a song that uh, someone sang, Tracy Chapman, right. and how people, tr- not Tracy Chapman, but somebody thought that Tracy Chapman would be offended by this because they assumed that the country music world would not have accepted Tracy. This is just craziness. I mean, music is about joy and empowerment and a universal way to communicate. Uh, and if this young lady who has a strong theory of the case uh, believes what she believes. She should go write the music and compose the music and sing what she wants. But there's no need to um, uh, frown on or pour, try to pour gasoline on a toxicity or on an entire genre of music. Sure, there are people. I remember when I was growing up, there were people who made rap music and there were those who criticized it, saying that it was preaching. And there's still people who criticize some aspects of aspects of hip hop, saying that it promotes uh, things that are not positive about women and about communities and even promoting and glamorizing guns and violence. But there's a big part of hip hop that does not do that. There's a part of rock. So I, I think, again, I think this is just a, a function of her age, perhaps, and experience in life. And I hope she's not, I hope she continues to make music. But let other people make music too. And, and we all can decide to turn that dial or yep. go into that site or, for that matter, download that song or not. I wish her the best, but I hope she stops criticizing those that make music in other ways. I want to just say here that we have arrived at a place. Where having a difference of opinion is the same thing as violence. Having a difference of opinion is the same thing as hate. I talk about people who have opinions that I disagree with on this podcast. But I don't hate them. And I do feel that they have a right to have their opinions. But one of the reasons why I do this podcast is because I believe that I also have a right to respond to those opinions and look at these things through a biblical perspective. To reference some of the stuff that I talked about earlier, as I said, everything that we see in life has an order. Families are given the structure by God to be led by a husband 
that is supported by a wife and they too mutually pledge to be together for life, to be an example of Christ in the church and to raise the next generation to love and honor God. That is life done decently and in order. It has nothing to do with misogyny. It doesn't have anything to do with putting down women. As a matter of fact, Peter says this, give honor unto the wife as unto a weaker vessel. He is saying the position of a wife under the headship of a husband is a place of honor. Now, is this abused? Yes, it has been abused because people are imperfect and there will always be imperfect people. There will always be people that misinterpret these things and make a mockery of them. But that doesn't mean that those things are inherently evil. The reason that we speak out against things like transgenderism or like homosexual marriage are not because we hate trans people or we hate homosexuals. They are because we know that God created male and female to cohabitate with one another in the bonds of matrimony, one man, one woman for a lifetime, for the good of themselves and the good of society. That is why God did it. He didn't do it because he was sitting up there and just pulled a few levers and thought that was good enough. He did it because he knew that was the best way to propagate a good society. And you see plenty of examples in the Bible where this goes wrong. Some people will say, well, the Bible doesn't say anything against polygamy, so therefore other lifestyles should be appropriate. Well, let's consider that for a moment. First of all, I'm fairly certain that God said in the law to not take many wives upon yourself if you are going to become the king of my nation. Second of all, even when he doesn't expressly call out somebody for a polygamous lifestyle, the results of that polygamous lifestyle are its own punishment. There was constant fighting between Rachel and Leah over Jacob, and they gave their handmaids to Jacob. So he ended up with four wives, and there was constant tension there. There was constant tension between David's children from different wives. This in and of itself is an example of why many wives are not a good idea. God didn't have to expressly say in each of these passages, having many wives is a bad idea because he showed us by example what can happen when you have many wives. We read about Solomon that his many wives took his heart, and turned it away from God. So, polygamy has its own consequence. So when God tells us in Genesis that one man for one woman for a lifetime is true, and when Jesus reiterates this and says, for this cause shall a young man leave his father and mother to be joined to his wife, we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that his order and his way is the best. He doesn't have to tell us what's not appropriate because he defines marriage for us. And having a fixed moral standard 
and having a standard that shows the value of all human beings in the sight of God is not bigoted. It's not phobic, as people say. It is simply having a firm ground on which to stand. And as I said in the beginning, how much better would our society be if we had a fixed moral standard upon which we were grounded? You see, right now, it's like the book of Judges in the United States. There is no king in Israel, and everyone does what's right in their own eyes. And that is why we have the chaos that we have. So as believers, where does that leave us? It leaves us with the responsibility and the opportunity to stand up and shine a light in the darkness and say, there is a better way, and that way is following the blueprint of the Word of God. Well, that's what I have time to share with you this week. I hope that you have been benefited from it, and that if you've enjoyed this podcast, that you will share this and any of my other podcasts with your family and friends, they are always available for free on my website or anywhere that you listen to podcasts. So please make sure that you avail yourself of all of my free audio. And please feel free to share any feedback with the contact information that will be shared at the end of the show. For Culture Watch, this is Andrew Gomison saying, have a great week and keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at Facebook.com slash Speaking For Him and on Twitter at Speaking For Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.